Go ahead and turn in your Bibles for everybody else to, the folks will be here and we'll give them a, but just to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we're going to be in verses 25 through 37 this morning. If you're relatively new with us this morning, we, um, we're right now in a series going through the book of Luke. So um, most Sundays, and the, the Sunday is no exception, we just kind of take the next passage uh, and, and go through the one passage at a time through the book of Luke called, uh, series is called The Compassionate Conqueror. So it's about really how Luke gives us insight into Christ, like, like all the Gospels do. But you really see these emerging themes of, of the sovereign just rule of Jesus Christ, that he is the king of the earth, he is the one with unmatched power, and he is the God of all compassion. And so these two themes uh, really come together. And just say, since folks are still making their way to their seats, um, I, I'm starting, like, like usual, with a football illustration or football watching illustration. And my team is not very good, but we're 2-0 against the local team. So um, that's my only. Um, and we're not going to go farther from here, but um, I, I have very little to brag about my team this year. So we're going to find the one thing I do have and, uh, and beat a dead horse with that. Um, but we really, as a family, um, and this does segue, we don't watch, like, we don't really watch a lot of TV, so I don't know if this is normal, but during football, which is the thing we do watch, um, there, there's a lot of commercials that are selling insurance. Like, this seems to be, like, I, there's a lot of insurance companies out there, and they're all, like, they're all advertising Sunday afternoons. And honestly, you can't, like, based on the commercials, I don't think you can tell the difference between them. Like, they're all saying they do the same thing. They're covering, you know, like, your home and your life for all the stuff that comes, right? So the things that marks the difference between the companies and the commercials, at least from my uneducated mind, is just, like, the jingles they have or the spokespeople they have. Like, that seems to be the thing that they have because they all sell you. They, they do the same thing. And so, like, and you're probably, like, even if you're not, like, a rep, like, avid football watcher, you probably know, like, like, like one company, like 15 minutes saves you 15%, right? So that's Geico, that's their claim. They're, you're in good hands with, with Allstate, right? So that's theirs. Progressive has this lady named Flo who's on like everything, and I don't get it, but she's, she's on everything. And so they, they have all these slogans, right? But there's one that honestly I don't like, and it's a company called State Farm. And they might be great at insurance, this is not a, a claim on them, but I don't like their slogan, because their slogan is, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there, right? So that's, that's their slogan. And so the idea of State Farm, what they're selling is like, hey, like a good neighbor, like they're there when you need them, right? Like when you, when you have an, you know, an accident or you know, something happens at your home or whatever it is, you call them that they're there, that they're not just an insurance company, but they're there to guide you through and to help out and all that sort of stuff, right? So that's their, that's their slogan. But what I can tell you what I don't like is that if you're not a customer of theirs, like I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not a customer of theirs, so if I have an issue like, they're not going to be a good neighbor, right? They're not going to come. They're not going to be there for me, right? Like, that, that's kind of the opposite of what they're going to do, right? Now, just to be clear, I think that's okay for insurance companies to not just serve random people who call their hotline, right? I, I understand that. But their slogan sort of underlines a way of thinking that has happened in a lot of circles and in a lot of places, that we get to decide who we care about. Now, to be clear, I think that's okay for an insurance company. But it's an ethic that Christians and followers of Jesus Christ cannot live by. That I'm happy to love, I'm happy to serve, I'm happy to help my neighbor, but I get to decide who that is and how that is. I get to decide and, you know, serve who I like and who I'm drawn to, and, but I can also draw lines for who's outside of that. The sin we see in our passage this morning 
But I also think we need to see it's a sin that many of us are vulnerable to as well. But not just, we don't just see the sin in this passage. We see a better example. We see ultimately Jesus Christ who commands us and empowers us to something better. Main idea we're going to be looking at this morning is love your neighbor as Jesus loves you. Love your neighbor as Jesus loves you. And with that, I'm going to ask if you're able, if you could stand as we read God's word for those who are newer with us. We, we stand just to show our reverence and our, our respect to the word of God. So I'm going to ask if you could if able to stand as we read our passage, which is Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Verse 35, And the next day he took out two denarii and gave, him to the, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Well, you may be seated. apologize in advance for my voice this morning. I've been under the weather. Um, I feel fine, but my voice still feels not fine. So apologize if that's a distraction in any way. But the main idea, again, we're going to be looking at is love your neighbor as Jesus loves you. We're not going to have actually formal points this morning. Normally, if you've been around for any length of time, normally I'm, I'm, I'm really a three-point kind of sermon guy, but we're, we're not going to have formal points this morning. But really just want to read the passage again, but kind of stop after each verse or two and just kind of unpack a little each element and and just kind of, and then sort of see different elements throughout it, and then hopefully at the end just sort of tie it together with even what I think for most of us is a, is a familiar passage, but that there would be fresh application for each of our lives. So again, in verse 25, the passage starts out, and behold, a lawyer stood up to him, stood up and put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So as we start out, there's this interaction between Jesus and te- between teachers of the law. Here's a, here's a lawyer that, that, is, that is there. But, but there's the others there in this context as well. So, so what's going on is there, there's this really, this is likely a cross-section of all those who were, who were starting to follow Jesus, a cross-section of all those who Jesus was beginning to attract. There was sort of the sort of a cross-section of society. There was the educated and the non-educated. There was the religious leaders and the non-religious that, w- that were all there together. And an educated lawyer stands up and he, he asks a vital question, but we see he's not asking an honest question. See, he's not asking a question based on curiosity and learning, 
But it says that he, he, he's putting him to the test in verse 25. In verse 29, we see the motive of his question was that he wanted to justify himself. See, he's asking this question based on, okay, he wants to validate his own life. He wants to validate his own righteousness. His own merit is, is the reason he's saying it. He's basically asking this question so that he can be commended and so that he can commend his own life as living righteously enough to inherit eternal life. See, the lawyer wanted to test Jesus. He didn't have as his motive, hey, can I conform to what Jesus teaches, but does Jesus conform to what I want him to say, what I would like to be true? And to be clear, I don't think any of us would do it in the exact same way and be as maybe brazen as we would, but do we ever look for Jesus to conform to what I think he should be like, what I think he should do in a situation? Do we in any way ever bring Jesus to my image of him, my idea of him, not seeking rather to conform to who he calls me to be and what he calls me to do. I just think we need to recognize we all have this tendency at times to want him to conform to us, but there is no, sal there is no salvation in him conforming to us. Salvation is possible, but it's not because he is morally like us so he asks a good question, but he asks with the wrong motive. What can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds in verse 26 and 27. He said to him, what is written in the law, how do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus says basically, well, lawyer, what does the law say? And he answers correctly that we love God perfectly and fully, and that we love our neighbor. Ten Commandments, right, which summarize really in the moral law of God in codified form. You could really summarize as the first four is loving God, the, uh, the, last, the other six is loving your neighbor, right? You, 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 could, you could sort of distill it all down to those two great commandments. Leviticus 19.18, which summarizes part of the law. It, it says you shall love your neighbor as yourself, right? This isn't something new. Jesus isn't giving some new ethical teaching. He's, he's saying, that, yep, this has been the law of God since the law was given. This has been a reflection of God's heart since the law was given. This is, this is a reflection of who he is. Love God, love your neighbor. In verse 28, he affirms and he said, and he said, and he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So this man is correct. Perfectly love God, right? Heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, and you will inherit eternal life. Now, one, one could probably have two reactions to that. Like, wait, wait, that's it? Like, that's all I have to do. Love God, love my neighbor, that's it. Great. Or, wait, that's impossible. Like, right? Like, I can't do that. I, I can't perfectly love God, perfectly love my neighbor. Surely he knows I can't actually perfectly love God. Surely he knows I can't perfectly love my neighbor. And so in verse 29, it says, He, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? See, I think the lawyer, lawyer's picking up of like, Hey, that's all I have to do. I can do that. But just to be certain, who exactly is my neighbor? You see, I can love them. Just let me know the scope of, of who that's inclusive of. 
Is it just sort of ethnic Hebrews? Is it just those of closest proximity? But you see, his motive in this is not who can I love? How, how can I extend love to my neighbor? But it's who are those I don't need to love? See, I can't, I, I can't, I can't love everyone, certainly. So, so how who, can you kind of narrow it down so you can let me know who I don't have to? See, he's, he's not trying to have an inclusive love of his neighbor, but he's trying to have an exclusive love of who can I restrict this to? You know, again, I don't think any of here would think we could earn our salvation. But do we have a, a hope of a list of like, are there those we'd rather not love like ourselves? Are, we, are there any that we'd rather kind of be okay if there was an allowance for why we don't have to love them like Christ? That family member that's difficult on others, that boss, those who differ politically. Let's just say we, we don't need to be those who are trying to earn our own salvation to, to try to limit in our own heart who we can be exclusive with our love. So is there a, a person that, that God has placed in your life that sort of you would really prefer if, if, if you had an allowance not to love them in this way? I think if you, if you have somebody that's sort of in your heart or mind, I, I think, let's see, how does Jesus' parable here shape how we should view them? So Jesus responds, so, okay, who is my neighbor? It's a, it's a valid question. It's a good question. Again, it's wrong motive, but it's the right question. Who is my neighbor? And he replies this way in verse 30, a, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So Jesus is about to answer this lawyer's question, but he's not going to give a technical breakdown of, okay, the, the sphere and the scope of the law, and let's look through all the particularities of it. But he is going to give a story that is to reveal the heart of the law of love, God's heart with behind love your neighbor as yourself. And he says that in this story, a man is robbed and beaten, and he is left for dead. And as that after that happens, as this man, you can just envision, you know, kind of dying on the side of the road in a dangerous area, a priest happens to be walking by. And he sees him at a distance, and he goes on the other side of the road. Now, very likely, we don't know certainly all the, all the details, but this man may have been ceremonially unclean in some way. He may not have been a Jew. He wasn't a priest. He's literally, he's literally unclean because he is half dead in a ditch somewhere. And so you can kind of put together, maybe this priest, you know, was going into or out of temple work and he had to sort of ceremonially be clean. It was important for priests to be ceremonially clean. And so he justified in his mind why he would not have had to help this man because he had to stay ceremonially clean. But ironically, right, to stay ceremonially clean, to stay clean in his mind on the outside, he moved across the street, he got out of the way, he really ignored the very nature of the law of love to keep himself clean on the outside, he, made, he revealed himself to be dirty on the inside by ignoring the one in need, by having this technical view of the law, not the heart of of God behind the law. 
And in verse 32, it says, So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. So a priest comes and a Levite. A Levite would also be a worker of the temple, kind of not as high up as a priest, but, but similar. Again, you could kind of see the similar pro- thought process in the mind of the Levite for the mind of why I wouldn't need to help him, of why I could look at him, but then just keep walking. There was probably some uncleanness. Probably this wasn't somebody who he was sort of obligated legally or by his job status to help, and so let's just move on to something else. And before continuing, I need to note something. Now, we, we know what the text says right in verse 33. We know who does step in. But if you were there that day and you were hearing this for the first time, here's, here's what you think Jesus is building to. Okay, priest, he comes by and he passes. A Levite, he passes by. Okay, what he's going to say, but then a Hebrew comes by. You know, your average working class Jew comes by. He, he, he comes by and he's, he's going to be the hero in the story, right? You know, your average working class guy, you know, not the religious elite, but rather these, this common person. It would have been popular had Jesus said that, right? Both it would be a way that he could relate to and, you know, elevate the common man. He could kind of take a shot at the religious elite of the day and it'd kind of be, you know, if Jesus was a politician, if this was sort of a stump speech Jesus was given, that, that's what you would say is sort of, but then the, the common person comes by. It seems like the, the obvious setup of what he's doing But in verse 33, he says, but a Samaritan comes. Now, not a Hebrew, not your average just sort of citizen, but rather their enemies came. For 400 years, Samaritans and Jews had been been enemies. They had been, I mean, unease at best. There had been tension. Samaritans were those who at one point were, were Jews, and when they were in, under Babylonian ca- captivity, they had intermarried while in captivity, and so their ancestry wasn't as pure as those who, who, who didn't intermarry. And their ancestry wasn't as pure because, because they morally weren't as pure, because, they, because generations before, they had, they had compromised and they had sinned. And so, so to the Jew, not only were, were Samaritans different, they, they, they were above them in, in, in ethnicity, they were above them in morality. They, Samaritans were beneath them in their thinking. And so by drawing attention to, to a Samaritan, and, and to say... They, they were beneath them in their thinking, but also to, 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 the, to the average, deservedly so, because generations prior, they had done wrong. They had done what God commanded them not to. They, they had sinned in that generation, and so, so they're sort of beneath them and deservedly so. And so when he says, but a Samaritan, he's not just sort of getting their attention. This isn't just sort of a, a way of like a wake-up. This is, this is offending them. And what he's about to say. So in verse 33 it says, But a Samaritan, he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave it to them the in, to the, them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back, do you, do you under, is, is, he, is he saying this? He's saying, 
Do you, do you hear how, how shocking these words would have been to people? Okay, I'll tell you who didn't help this man. I'll tell you who didn't fulfill the law. I'll tell you who wasn't the neighbor. The, the, the religious elite were not, but not even the comment. I'll tell you who's commended in this story is your enemy. You want to justify yourself? Here's who's about to, who's, who's about to be justified. Here's about to be who's the hero of the story. The Samaritan is the one who showed compassion. And it was compassion in action. It wasn't just this idea of kindness. It wasn't just sort of he had sympathy and like, oh boy, that's, that's real sad. He, he was sacrificial. He was generous. In some ways, he likely put himself in danger by picking up the man and putting him on his own animal and leaving himself vulnerable in this dangerous area. This man stepped into where he was vulnerable. The, the hero of the story is this Samaritan. The one who, who comes out looking good, right, is this, is this Samaritan. And so Jesus asks the obvious question, right, which is, of these three, who do you think proved to be a neighbor who fell to the man who fell among the robbers? Verse 37, do, do you almost see the tone of the lawyer? He, he can't even say the word the Samaritan, right? He, it's just so, he's just so like, wait, wait, he's the one. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't say that, that, he just says, the one who showed him mercy. I think it's with this disappointed tone of just that one. He's the one that's looking good. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. See, the neighbor was the one who showed compassion. It was the one who showed love. It was the Samaritan. And he says, be like that. It's one of these stories, right? It's, it's a popular story. If, even if you don't know your New Testament real well, it's probably one of the stories that you would know. Non-Christians like this story. It's easy to see why, right? We, we like that there was compassion, that he was, that he was loving, that he was kind. We, we like that. We appropriately like that. We like this idea of just this human ethic of just, you know, help now, worry about sort of the cost later that he has here. I mean, we, we should like this, right? This, should, this is an attractive story. Jesus tells us to do it because it's a good ethic. May it mark us, may it mark his people. I mean, sort of the... We're not going to camp out in this point, but just to say so much. So, I mean, I think one of Jesus' point with highlighting the Samaritan, like this, should, this, this isn't just a Christian ethic. This isn't just an ethic for the followers of Jesus. Like this should be, just be an ethic amongst people. How much more so should it be amongst his followers? But I think in just this obvious attraction to the story, I think we can miss how radical this was. See, our, our neighbor whom God calls us to love, in, in a way, he is saying, it's everyone. But if he were just to leave it with, you know, it's just everyone in general, in some ways, that would seem really hard, right? If my neighbor is just everyone, that, that's hard. But it could also be kind of easy because everyone can kind of be impersonal. And it can just be big picture, right? It can be... It, it's, it can actually be easy to love humanity, but it's hard to love specific people, you know, actual humans in humanity. See, it's what Jesus is getting at. It, it's everyone, sort of, but it's more that it's everyone and that I'm not allowed to discount anyone. So who does God bring to my life? Who does he bring into my orbit and my community? Who does he bring into my neighborhood? Who does he have interacting with my family? Who does he bring into this church? Who are, the, who are other folks at my school that, 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 
that, that he brings in. I'm not, I'm not allowed to not include anyone that God's bringing into my world and my orbit. See, the, the great call of this isn't, hey, I'm, I'm called to care for the needs of seven billion people as, it, as if I could, but I'm not allowed to exclude anyone from that list, from this neighborly love. I'm not allowed to have a list of those who I exempt myself from. I can't hold up to the Lord and say, hey, here's these 10 people who I'm loving, you know, sort of love my neighbor as myself. I, I can give you these 10 people and, and sort of say, okay, so that should give me an allowance for having this one or two that I've sort of exempted from the list. He's saying, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. See, the lawyer's heart was to justify himself by making this command to love your neighbor very very narrow in scope. But God is, we can't narrow it because God is calling us to broaden it. Let me give a couple examples of, of just what I mean. So here's the reality, right? We're a small church. We don't have a lot of power. We don't have a lot of local political influence that I'm aware of. There, there are so many crises that we can't solve as people, that we can't solve as a church. But there was, a few weeks ago, a single mom who came, came to our church who had significant and real and deep needs. And for about the next week of their life, starting the moment she walked in the door, Leo and Sue rearranged their life to care for this woman. Now that's, that's a heart that's reflective of this passage. It's a heart that says, listen, that doesn't find, hey, there's real reasons. I, it's a really kind of inconvenient week near the holidays to do this. There's real risk with doing that. Like, that's a heart that says, yeah, of course there's risks. Let me, let me include. Let me find ways to love. That's, a, well, that's why I'm saying there's, there's, it's not just a universal general love, but let me look for specific people to serve. Listen, I'm aware. Listen, I, there, there's a homeless crisis sort of on streets in near, near this community. There's, there's a homeless crisis all around us. I don't think we can solve that. I don't think we as a church or me individually can solve that. But that's not a reason to not have a person on the street who I interact with and, and not sacrifice and love them. That's not a, because I can't solve the global problem isn't a reason to not have a dollar in my pocket that I can leave or have a gift card to a, to a store that they, can, that they can get some food at. To not have a couple dollars just ready in the car so that when they come begging, you can give to them. Whatever, whatever application that looks like. Listen, I understand we can't sort of universally find the solution to all the things, but if there's one in need who's coming to our life, I think this is a call to serve that person. So there's a, sadly, an epidemic of, of fatherless homes in, in this community and around the country. I, again, I don't think individually I can, I can solve that. But do we know a single mom who we, who we can love and support and care for and serve? Do we, do we have a single mom in our life that we say, I can't, I can't solve this whole epidemic, not me, not us as a church, but I can, I can step in to where there's a need in her life and where I can have compassion in her life. And do I, do I speak in love about those who, who find themselves in different conditions? Do I speak in love, not in condescension? Do I speak in... Love, not that I'm morally superior to them. Do I have an ethic that speaks lovingly of folks who, who are addicts and who are vulnerable, who are immigrants, who are 
who, who are, are those who would be considered the least amongst us in society? Do I speak in ways that, that primarily marks how we are different and other than them, or do we speak in more ways that show their inherent dignity and value and worth and more like, the, more like us? Do we speak primarily about decisions they've made and that excludes them from something, or do we speak about them that we say, boy, they have a, a, a dignity and a value and a worth, whatever decisions they have made. Do I show compassion to them in the way I speak of them? If there's anyone feeling not totally in re- just right relationships at church, just feels that more, it feels like more and more they just, they don't have that sort of circle. Do I, do I, do I find myself moving towards the one who feels less connected because I want to be inclusive, not exclusive in my love for my neighbor? One of the things I think this, th- th- this example shows us that, that, that this crisis was here. Now, we don't know all the details again, but very likely it's a dangerous road, dangerous section, dangerous place for this man to be as he's walking in here. That's why he was beaten and robbed and left for half dead and people are just walking by, right? Like, it's, it's, it's just probably one of these places where, yep, that happens, right? It would not have been a bad response to sort of talk with political leaders, talk to police and say, okay, how do we fix this global problem? But what he did, at least first, was say, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to make it impersonal. I'm not going to go to what's global. I'm going to go to the one who's in need and help right now. And I'll make a real sacrifice for the real person in front of me. See, he is calling us to a radical, inclusive love. We should also see this, too. He is calling us to this. But we can't do it. See, I can't do it in several ways. See, my heart, well, my heart in, it, in its core, I want to find reasons to care first for me and then those I prefer and then those who are like me and those that can serve me. That's what my heart's natural gravitation is, is towards those who, 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 who can love me and serve me. And so just to say, it's, it's hard to sacrificially love and serve. It is in this way. Our hearts are not naturally inclined to risk to serve those who we don't know and those who we don't love. But it's not just hard. I would say it is impossible to not just do it, but to do it perfectly, to have a perfect love of God and to have a perfect love for people. And even if I could do it perfectly for one person, I can't do it for all people. I can attempt to selflessly love one but to selflessly love all that's just a task that is too big for me so we just need to see we it's not just hard this is an impossible calling that jesus is giving us see only god is capable of caring for the whole world but not just caring for the whole world in a general way but for caring for each person in it only he can care for all and he only he can care for everyone only he can hear the hear hear the news of every nation and of every person and not be undone but love and care and restore. And so, just to recognize, we aren't made, we aren't born naturally with the heart of God, and we are never given the capacity of God. So we should read this, and one of our takeaways should be, I can't do it. I can't justify myself. I can't love my neighbor perfectly, always, as the law demands. So we can't do it. 
and he, he, he's but he's demanding of us. He's commanding us to do this. See, the question was, how can he do this? How can he call us to something that we ourselves can never do? Because the one who demands it, the one who calls us to it, is the one who first did it for us and then empowers us to slowly but surely take off this old heart that lacks love, that lacks moving towards the other person, that wants to be exclusive and narrow and gives us a new heart where he, his love is poured into and poured into and poured into and slowly but surely changes our heart to be more expansive and to be more inclusive and to be more loving. So what he did is he came to earth because we could not do this and he saw me broken by sin, dead and dying on the side of the road due to sin. And he didn't just heal me. He defeated the robbers. He steps into suffering, not while I was his neighbor, but while I was his enemy. And he didn't just come and not pass by. He didn't just come and heal. He ultimately came in my place. He took the curse and the punishment that I deserve and then gave me a new heart so that I can love my neighbor, not perfectly, but genuinely. And so any love that we are called to love with is not something we generate. It's not something that we find in ourselves that we dig a little deeper, but we love with a love that he first loves us with and he pours into us. And so we are called to love our neighbor how Christ loves us, but we can't create that. We, we can't just magically put that on. But we can overflow from the love that he is pouring into his people and, and being poured into that love constantly, moment by moment, by moment, his love pours into us so that it, that it comes out to other people. So if you want to grow in loving your neighbor, let me just say, we don't start by looking at our neighbors. We don't start by looking at their needs. We start by looking at Jesus Christ and being aware of and being filled with his love, being poured into us, his love, his mercy, his kindness, his compassion. What did he do when he saw us in our dead and dying condition? What did he do when he saw us in desperate need? What did he do for us? And how did he love us? And then how does he love us every single day? And when we look at Jesus Christ, what happens? We are filled with love that comes out and is extended towards other people. So very practically, let me just ask, who, who is a, a neighbor that, that you're called to love with the overflow of God's love for you? Who's in your orbit that, boy, in some ways I'd otherwise like to pass by? But God is calling me to, to pour out my love towards. Now, just to be clear, I think there's some who, there's many in this church who I, I just, I, this is their heart. This is their heartbeat. They, their heart breaks when they see someone in, in a needy condition. And I think for some that they need to extend, hey, listen, my capacity is limited because I'm not the Lord. The solution isn't to feel guilty when I can't help and when I can't serve, but to trust God being content that he is the one who can take care of the needs of the entire world and that God is not dependent on me to fix the problems of other people. I am not the Holy Spirit that can minister to every person in need, but I can trust in the Lord as I help this one who he's called me to care for, care, called me to love, called for me to pour out my love into, that I can trust that the Lord can perfectly care for all people all at once. And so I am not powerful like he does, and so I don't need to put on myself guilt for not having the capacity of God but for all of us to recognize, do we have an ethic that says, how do I go out so that I can love my neighbor? How do I go out so I can love and care for and pursue those who have this need? One of the 
wrestling with how, to, how do I phrase this. I think one of the things that may just never mark us as a church, may it never mark us as God's people, is that this sense of, this is someone else's job to do, right? I mean, I, I'm just always struck when I read kind of, you know, it, this isn't about government and how big government is and what government role is. It's not about that. Other than to say, this used to be what churches did, right? The first place the community would go when there was a, when there was a need for, for the homeless or for food, like they wouldn't go to the government, right? They would go to the church, right? And I think we've seen this shift happen over time and, and all this sort of thing. And I'm not what, trying to weigh into the politics of that other than to say, may we never take the perspective. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that one in need. Well, that's somebody else's job. That's, that's not for me to do. That's outside of my sphere. May we never think, have the ethic of like, you know what, that's somebody else's responsibility and I'm just going to pass by on the other side. May we be those who are willing to accept risk, who are willing to be inconvenienced, who are willing to step into where there is a need, not in just the world in general, but when there's a need that God brings into our life, may we never just say, hey, that's somebody else's job. But we may, may our first response be, I want to love my neighbor as Christ has loved me. May we have that ethic when it's, Someone in this church that maybe for you is, is harder to love. May we not have a list of those, well, here's all the, reason, here's all the people I do love well, so I'm going to sort of accept myself, this, allow this acceptance. If there's a literal neighbor in your community, on your street, Em and I were talking about the, just the, this week kind of coming out of it, you know, kind of reading this passage and just the sense of like there's been, there was a neighbor who we, we had in our life, and we just, we just thought, boy, we, we want to be intentional. This, this neighbor loves community and fellowship with us and just really just enjoys us. And so in some ways, when we go outside to do yard work, we, we want to, how do we not find ways when they're probably busy at work? How do we find ways that when they're out there that we can step, like when they're out there, that's when we find our time to do it because this is what actually serves them. And how do we step out of our comfort zone and be inconvenient so that we can step in more into their world? Maybe you have a, a person at school how do, you, how do you have with that person in school who maybe is unpopular or maybe is harder to love for whatever reason, how do you have a heart that says, yeah, I want to be inclusive and expansive in my love, not exclusive and sort of find a reason why it's okay not to? I think for some, it might be something like having a discussion as a family. Hey, do we need to, you know, there's not a lot of people naturally coming into my over. Do we need to find ways to maybe naturally go out there, be more aware of the needs of the community? Do we need to look into something like foster care where, where people might be brought into our orbit that aren't there right now that we want to have a discussion and pray about? How, how does it look like for us to step out more and to help the needs of those around me? Maybe for some there's a family member that just makes things hard and you've been counseled that, you know, sort of have this self-protection around this person. And was, obviously there's going to be, we need wisdom to navigate certain dynamics and and all these things, but may, may, may sort of this sort of may modern psychology sort of not define our boundaries for what love looks like. Maybe it's just that person selling on the side of the road, and well, it would, we feel bad for them, but we, we feel justified to just pass by. Or a mom who we have compassion for, may we be those who our compassion finds finds action in real, tangible ways. Brother says, we are called to love our neighbor with a radical and expansive and an inclusive love. The way we do that is not by primarily looking to them, but to him. 
and being reminded and refreshed daily of His love for us, having that love poured into us by His Spirit, and then lovingly pouring that out on others. So brothers and sisters, may we be a church that continually seeks to love our neighbor as Christ loves us. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to be those who individually and corporately just seek to grow in this, seek to grow in our understanding of this? Would we be those who individually and corporately have a radical, sacrificial, risk-taking love for one another, for other people in this community? And Lord, would we find that the motive for this is not guilt-driven, is not the sense of, of, of just piling on another thing, but Lord, would our motive be the love of Jesus Christ that has been poured into us and is daily, moment by moment, being poured into us. Lord, will we be so full of the love of God, so full and aware of the love of Jesus Christ for his people, that, that what just happens is just a natural outpouring and that we look to find expression and extension on others. So would you help us to be those who love this way? But Lord, we also confess that we never will be. So we are so grateful for Jesus Christ who loved us perfectly and fully and sacrificially and generously and who is transforming us by his love moment by moment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.